Spivey doesn't have special needs. She has needs just like every other child does, and she deserves to have those needs met. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney, and today we have Vanessa McLeod with her special topic episode about ableism and accessibility from her perspective as a parent. Now, I would like to first give an extra special welcome to those tuning in for the first time or one of the first times. I am genuinely very happy you are here. After enjoying this episode, I welcome you to browse whatever other episodes look interesting and meaningful to you. And binging the episodes is always allowed. As you may or may not know, I always encourage you to listen to the story episode first as they are kind of a part one and part two of sorts. But for this one, it is especially important. Vanessa's story episode was very much a precursor for this episode. So if you haven't caught it yet, pause this one, listen to episode 69, and then come right back and finish this episode. You'll be glad you did. In this episode, Vanessa shares the many hurdles she faced in enrolling her daughter Ivy in preschool. We talk about how much more accessible society is to non-disabled people and children, than their disabled counterparts. We dig into ableism and the ways that ableism contributes to the issues of inaccessibility. Vanessa's confidence in Ivy's ability to have a wonderful life full of ambition and fulfilled dreams is contagious and I really hope you can feel that. Now, as a disclaimer of sorts, just as with any episode, I just want to point out and remind everyone listening that Every circumstance, every child, every family, every diagnosis is unique. So our conversation may or may not reflect your exact situation or opinion, but I am 100% confident that there is much to be learned from this episode. So without further ado, let's get to the conversation. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. You are so welcome. So in our first episode, for anyone who is listening, they probably noticed this. We definitely touched on and dove right into the topic of ableism, which has a whole lot to do with your special topic all about accessibility. And we're going to talk about this in context of how you've experienced as Ivy's mom in these years and how you've recently kind of come up against it. So First, I would love, this may be a little too late, maybe we should have done this in the first episode, but I would love for you to kind of define um, what ableism means to you. Yeah, um, this is definitely something that I have had to learn and, you know, put the time into learning this and just, just listening to those in the disability community about what it truly means, because I know that my perspective is limited, but basically ableism is discrimination against somebody because of their disability or because of the way they're born. And it's, you know, viewing their life as less because they were born different. Awesome. I agree. I think like as parents, a lot of us are just kind of like sitting back and reading, you know, I think for both of us on Instagram, different disabled adults who talk about this topic. And at the same time, I feel like we do have a unique spin on it as parents, because we are not the disabled people, but mm-hmm. we are advocating for our disabled children. Yeah. And so, you know, it is, it's a different flavor. I think it's a different flavor of, of uh, advocacy and ableism. Yeah. 
I feel like it's a fine line sometimes because you mm-hmm. never want to speak for a marginalized community. You never want to speak for someone who's disabled. You want to listen to them and hear what they are saying because they have the lived experience. But when mm-hmm. it's a minor and when you're the guardian of that minor, you have to speak for them sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting mix of, okay, connecting with other disabled adults um, and listening to them, but then also having to speak for a disabled child. It's a very fine line. Yeah, I think you explained that really well. And a lot of people you know, that are listening right now have children who are disabled to the point where they may never speak for themselves. And so uh-huh. um, that, again, adds a really interesting layer. I know that for both you and for me in our situations, we are also modeling for our children. Um, uh-huh. You know, we're advocating for them right now while they can't really advocate for themselves in hopes of teaching them some day too, like self-advocacy. Um, yeah. And then there's also the group of parents, like I mentioned, who will continually be their child's advocate. Yeah. So I would love to chat about, I know this has like gotten you a little bit of publicity like in your hometown and stuff, but I would love to have you explain your first big barrier to accessibility for Ivy um, in the form of preschool and access to the education she deserves. Yeah, this has been tricky and I feel like there's a lot of different layers to it, but at the end of the day, I do have an older daughter and I put her in preschool and I want to give Ivy that exact same opportunity because why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first step was kind of talking to our team. We see a team at a local child development center. She sees a physiotherapist there, an occupational therapist. We have an infant development consultant and we have a pediatrician. So, you know, I first kind of spoke with them about it because they've been involved in her development. Um, and I just kind of said, you know, like, I think she's ready for preschool. Like she's already so fiercely independent and determined Mm. and she sees her big sister go off to school and she's asking to go to school and they were so on board with it. They think that it's going to be amazing for her. They think that she's going to just kill it. Like, you know, they know her well enough to know that she really doesn't have any limits. Um, but I was quickly told by them that in BC, there is very limited funding for support workers for preschoolers. So they will put me on a wait list when she's three, but what limited funding there is, is limited for four-year-olds. So I can go on a wait list at three, but I'm not going to get it. And again, they'll put me on a wait list when she's four and there's no guarantee that we'll get it because the funding is so limited. So they almost kind of like shut it down pretty mm-hmm. quick. Uh, which was disheartening. But like I said, I'm a researcher. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also a fighter. Um, I reached out to other parents. And I was like, well, what did you do? Did you find any resources? And so there is another program called the at home program. It's through the Ministry of Child and Family Development in BC. So if your kid is dependent in four areas of life, so that's bathing, dressing, eating, and toileting, then you qualify for this at-home program. So that was a whole huge process in itself. It took us almost a year to get approved on this, in this program. But through the at-home program, they'll help provide funding for like medical equipment around the house. 
and things like that. And they also provide respite funding. So you're approved for this program, the at-home program, but then any funding still is not guaranteed. It's still limited funding within this program. You will still be put on wait lists once you're in this program. Oh, wow. So technically, you know, Ivy is part of the at-home program. We are on a wait list for respite funding. And I want to use that respite funding for paying for a support worker for Ivy's preschool. Um, mm. Unfortunately, we're still just sitting on a wait list. They can't tell me how long we're going to be on this wait list for. I've heard from some parents that it's a couple years. Oh, wow. So I'm not feeling hopeful about it at all. So I'm just moving forward. So that's the whole big hurdle in itself is trying to find funding for a support worker, for a preschooler. Here in BC, it's basically non-existent. So that's unfortunate. And that's been a huge hurdle. And (laughs) we're kind of somewhere, but also kind of nowhere because we don't have funding. So what would happen if you just like went to a preschool and like, hey, I want to enroll my daughter Ivy. Like, is that where you need a support worker to help you with that? Or how does like, what does that look like? Like, what is a support worker? Um, or- I guess what I'm wondering is like, if you went to a preschool and you said like, hey, I want to enroll Ivy, would they like deny her because of her limb differences without having another worker? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. so here's the second part of like, you know, the funding for a support worker. That was my first hurdle. Yeah. That's been a continuing process. The second hurdle I, I encountered. So my eldest daughter had gone to this preschool for two years. I loved it. It's a Montessori preschool. The teacher is amazing. She's so Mm. like kind and gentle, which I love. Like I'm very much a gentle parenting kind of parent. And I just, I loved her classroom. I loved her, the teacher. So, you know, I, one day while I was picking up my eldest daughter from preschool, I kind of mentioned that I want to put Ivy in preschool and her reaction is not what I was hoping for. Um, She told me that Ivy would need a a support worker. She wouldn't take Ivy without a support worker. Hmm. And there were other conversations that happened. Some of them were disheartening. Some of them were a little more encouraging, but essentially there's a lot of hesitancy from this preschool teacher. She's the owner operator slash teacher. Hmm. And, you know, she said that she does have a lot of fear because she's never had a kid like Ivy in her class. And to be honest, I kind of laughed when she said that because even Ivy's pediatrician has never had a kid like Ivy in his care because she is quite rare. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm lucky that in that I found our large community, but it is online and it's around the world. So right. locally for our local pediatricians, they don't, they don't have any experience with a kid like Ivy. So I just kind of had mm-hmm. to laugh when, she was in place of fear because never dealt with a kid like Ivy. I'm like, well, no one has like yeah. Ivy's pediatrician hasn't even dealt with a kid like Ivy. And, you know, this has been a learning curve for me as well. This is just something that I've learned and taken the time to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of fear surrounding disabilities in general. And, you know, this teacher even used the word liability. She just kind of is viewing Ivy as a liability, which is really unfortunate. Mm. So, like Mm. I said, there were some big problems with like, kind of like inherent ableism in these conversations. That's also been a hurdle that we've had to overcome. As you mentioned before, like Ivy is totally independent and like, can do anything she needs to do. And so that really seems misplaced as well and judgmental, really. 
I mean, it, it is, again, coming from a place of ignorance. And I don't mean that rudely. It's just she purely doesn't know because, mm-hmm. you know, especially with COVID, like pickups and drop offs were always super quick. Um, and we didn't really get to interact with teachers this last year. So this teacher hasn't seen Ivy. She doesn't know Ivy very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is coming from a place of ignorance and just not knowing. But again, I think I was just hoping that this teacher would just kind of be so excited to have Ivy in her class and just welcome her with open arms and be like, oh yeah, like it doesn't matter. Like whatever it is, like we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. But that just wasn't quite the reaction that I received, which was super disappointing. There was just a lot of hesitancy and a lot of fear and a lot of, well, how is this going to work? And well, how are we going to do that? And how is she going to do this? And what are we going to do when this happens? And da, 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 instead of Mm -hmm. just kind of being like, absolutely. Like we would love to have Ivy. Let's welcome her into the class with open arms doesn't matter what her disability is we'll figure it out yeah that just wasn't like I said wasn't the reaction so that was really disappointing um mm. but you know I do love this teacher right. and we have had good conversations as well where she has expressed after some time that she's excited to have Ivy in her classroom and she thinks it'll be so good for the other students as well to just you know we've had conversations about how to talk to the kids about raising disability inclusive kids Mm. and you know how to talk about differences how to talk about diversity and those sorts of things so I know she sees the value in that as well I think there just is a lot of fear holding her back but yeah I mean like to be honest like if we think about back to our first episode together like we've both experienced that too and I think most parents have like the feeling you're unqualified for these children because you just don't know what to do and so you know, really that I feel like it's probably pretty relatable. Like, we're like, yeah, like, I mean, I felt that too, but like, trust me, like you can, yeah, you, know, you can do this. Well, you might be unqualified and you might not know, but there's always an opportunity to learn. Yeah. And I guess I was just disappointed that she wasn't outwardly showing right off the bat that she was excited to learn, um, mm. which I guess I had been hoping that she would be as a teacher because you're very right. Like in my case, you know, I didn't receive a lot of support while pregnant. They treated it like a routine pregnancy. They didn't treat it like a high-risk pregnancy. So I wasn't seen. I wasn't even seen by an OB, uh, just my midwife. Yeah. They talked about, you know, referring me to an OB, but then they never did. And then, you know, the time comes and she came a month early, but they wouldn't even deliver her in not even our local hospital, because that was never my plan. Our local hospital doesn't have a NICU. So we were going to go one city, like kind of like up from us, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where they have a NICU and deliver her there. Uh, and even they didn't feel comfortable delivering her. Those, the pediatricians on call that night didn't feel comfortable. Oh, so they wow. actually went to BC Children's Hospital by ambulance to just where we would have better care, I guess. They just didn't feel confident. They wanted us to be in the best place possible, which I totally understand. But, you know, and then, so after all this, like even, you know, not even our town, but like a bigger city than ours, those pediatricians didn't feel comfortable delivering her. And then they just sent me home with this baby. And I'm like, hey, well, like if all these medical professionals didn't feel comfortable (laughs) caring for her and now I'm caring for her, like, you're right. It is a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you do everything yourself you learn everything yourself. Mm. I didn't have anyone guiding me. You know, I found that community on my own and it was of other parents. I've honestly found the most help 
from other parents. It hasn't been from any medical professionals. It's been all from parents. Ugh. I mean, I'm glad the parents were there, but like, man, yeah. these medical yeah. professionals like need to pick that up. <laughs> well, or at I least like refer for, you. <laughs> thank goodness for the internet, because without the internet, I wouldn't have connected with the amount of people I have. Um, and I would be lost. Amen to that. Like, how yeah. did parents do this before? I don't know. I don't know. You could reach your community virtually. Quite honestly, they didn't do it. These children were often sent to institutions, which is really sad. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, You're right. So kind of going back to Ivy's preschool um, journey, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where did that lead? Like, have you made more progress in that? or? Yeah, I mean, she's going since the teacher's initial reaction, hesitancy. We've had meetings with her. I made an IEP for Ivy. She's met with Ivy. I hired a support worker. Like I looked for her on my own, hired her independently. Um, Mm. We've met with her. I've talked with her a lot about my goals for Ivy, my vision for Ivy's experience at preschool. The support worker I found is absolutely amazing. I am so excited about her. Um, I think she's going to be amazing for Ivy and she's kind of almost even working herself out of a job. Like those were her words. She said, I essentially want to work myself out of a job. I want Ivy to be as independent as possible, Mm. which I feel the same. That's amazing. And I I honestly think Ivy's going to surprise everyone because they don't know her. And because, you know, it's just kind of a part of ableist viewpoints you can't imagine that a life different than yours is still okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think these teachers just don't even know. I honestly think Ivy's going to blow them away with what she can do because they can't even picture her doing things. Even other kids we meet, they don't even think she can hold an umbrella. Right. They just can't, they can't picture it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think she's going to surprise them all. Because I told them, I'm like, you know, I wish you guys could see our house. We don't have anything modified for her. We don't have really? anything to Nothing. We wow. bought. A, we did buy a specialized high chair, but you know, if you know Ivy, she is fiercely independent, and she doesn't want to sit in a high chair. She wants to sit in a regular chair, like her big sister does. So that's what. <laughs> so that's what she does. Um, oh anything her gosh. big sister does, Ivy does too. And people honestly cannot picture that, but they which will. Kind of, which is kind of <laughs> funny, but it's also kind of sad at the same time that you know. People can't imagine that a life different than theirs is still worth living or mm. that you can still have a beautiful life or, you know, and that's not the case for mm. everyone, but it's just, it is something that happens and it's sad. Yeah. And but, she will, she will teach. I mean, yeah. like, not that that sh- she's going to preschool so she can have an awesome experience, right? Like she's not going there to like teach these people. That's not her job. But yeah. that being said, like how, yeah. what a great opportunity for this teacher, for these other kids yeah. that she'll be with to be like, wow yeah like ivy like she's legit like i love her and yeah if i can just jump in like i don't want to ever put that weight on ivy it is not her responsibility to teach other people but you're right at the same time it is going to happen and people are going to learn from her it is not her responsibility it's not her job to do that but it will happen and i am excited for that because am i going to change a doctor's mind by writing a letter when she's done 40 years worth of research about genetic anomalies. Do I really think I'm going to change her mind? No, but do I think that we can have an impact on the next generation? A hundred percent. I think that 
if we start actively teaching kids at a young age about the beauty of diversity, the beauty of differences, the beauty of a disabled life, I think it's going to be so powerful and we can raise these kids to know better. Yeah. And I think like even with the invention of like things like uh, we talked about internet, but like specifically like Instagram is because that's like an easier way to like follow people that are that yeah. you don't really know personally and like for yeah. us as parents to be educated by disabled adults and to like see what their life might be like as adults and to see how much we have in common and how all of our differences contribute to awesome human beings and just all of it like I really do I agree with you I think that we are being tutored by these adults that choose to teach us like you're right like we yeah. act like it's not their job to teach us but yeah. um these wonderful people that choose to do that and then you know like you say we can influence also the upcoming parents and they can influence yeah. the next generation the next generation and really um yeah make it a really great community to enter into just like parents you know did think, before us I just think we can raise a more inclusive generation and we can create a more inclusive world yeah by doing this by advocating and by, you know, specifically talking to kids about it. Um, you know, I, like I've brought books to the preschool, you know, I've had conversations with the teacher about, okay, so what comments are okay for kids to say, what questions are okay for them to ask, what's not okay, when do you need to intervene and correct maybe the words that they're using and that sort of thing too. And because, yeah. you know, I don't think these kids are necessarily going to get that from home because that's just an unfortunate part of society right now. So I want them to learn it at school. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to put a note in there too. Like, so we're talking about accessibility and how Ivy, because of the way that she is naturally, right? She's like this fiercely independent child who um, figures things out and does things like her sister. But there are those kids out there that do need modifications and um, accommodations yeah. <laughs> that yeah. need accommodations and like that, you know, whether or not our children or these adults are able to figure things out and do things on their own or if they need accommodations like yeah. everyone deserves these things like you mentioned yeah. like everyone deserves to have access and yeah. of course it's not I mean I didn't really think twice about it before I had Kimball but yeah. you know luckily we get to be in this community and, and realize there's a need <laughs> yeah I mean something something interesting that I have learned and so now personally I don't even use the term special needs um, mm -hmm. from what I've learned, I think it's a bit outdated. Um, and mm -hmm. it puts the emphasis on accommodations on disabled people, rather than putting the pressure on the entire world to be more accessible to everyone. Yeah. So, you know, like, disabled people, they have needs, they have accessibility needs, they, but everybody has those same needs too. everybody needs access, every child has needs mm -hmm. and it's just that in our case in the world as it is today if you're a typical kid those needs will automatically be met because that's how our world is built mm -hmm. whereas disabled kids the world wasn't it's not as inclusive as it should be at this point in time and so those needs won't be met because the world isn't designed that way and so that's where advocating comes into play so that our disabled kids can have their needs met in the same way that non-disabled kids have their needs met. All kids have needs mm -hmm. and they all deserve to have their needs met. 
Yeah. So that's why I don't like the term special needs because Ivy doesn't have special needs. She has needs just like every other child does. And she deserves to have those needs met. Yeah. Preach. And like, that's another thing I, I used the term special needs, like until, um, I don't know, until I was educated not to use that term. Like, I think, you know, we're all learning and like trying to figure out what the, you know, I don't know how we feel about things and, and how disabled people feel about things. And I think, I think like having another child that, you know, is quote unquote typical, I think really highlights that too, that discrepancy because it's like, yeah, this world was made for Wendy. Like this world is very accessible to her, but not in the same way it is to her brother. And I think that that's a really, I don't know, like a really actually empowering contrast to seem like, okay, yeah, like we could, we could make some um, changes with this. Yeah. So I know a mom, she's fairly local to me. She has six-year-old twins and one has a disability and the other doesn't. So they're literally living parallel lives where access for one child is immediately granted for everything. Mm -hmm. That same access is being denied to the other twin. Wow. She's experiencing that like in tandem. You know, whereas me, like, you know, I have my eldest daughter, I put her in preschool, experienced all that. So I want the same for Ivy. And now I'm experiencing these hurdles. Whereas like, you know, this mom with her twins, she goes to put them both in daycare. The same time that her one child is granted access without questions asked is experiencing all these hurdles for the other twin. And, you know, sometimes isn't even being given that access at all. Wow. Interesting. What a punch in the gut. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh it's just, wow. it, it's just if anything like highlights how inaccessible our world really is yeah 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 and I think you know it's interesting to me too to um, realize like how many of these children that are born with like especially medical complexities mm-hmm. you know 20 30 40 years ago would have died like Kimball probably would have died for I mean actually undoubtedly he would have died and so yeah. the world has this influx of disabled people, which is so cool. And I think we're all mm-hmm. kind of scrambling to like, to really catch up, I guess, to be like, wow, yeah, yeah. like stairs are not accessible. Like, no, I think too, just disabled people have been marginalized for so long. They've lived on the fringes of society for so long because that's where they've been pushed to. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, the world is evolving. It is different nowadays. And so disabled people are able to advocate a bit more and have themselves be brought into the light to shed light on these issues mm-hmm. because for so long, sometimes these children were just put into institutions. They weren't even raised at home. They were just sent off to institutions. So for so long, disabled people were, they lived on the fringes of society mm-hmm. and they were marginalized. And I mean, that is still the case, but we're getting to a point now where with things like the internet and social media and social movements, we are fighting for change. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's such a good point. Mic drop. (laughs) So I guess I would love to move on to our next point of tips for parents. There are things that you've kind of learned through this, like such a headache of a process of helping Ivy go to preschool. What would you advise parents who are listening right now? I mean, I don't have many tips in terms of like just the preschool issue because we're still struggling with that. And there are some big, like, systemic changes that need to happen in terms of like BC education 
Mm-hmm. Um, I plan on writing letters and doing more research to figure out what I can do to advocate for her. But, you know, if I could just give a tip in general for any parent who is maybe feeling alone right now or, you know, having any of those emotions that I've talked about, like fear, guilt, anything like that, anything that goes along with raising a child with a disability, I would just encourage you to know that you're not alone in this journey. And I know sometimes it is scary and you do feel alone, but there is a huge community out there of parents. And like I said, thank goodness for the internet, because I've been able to connect with so many people and I, I have found that support. I have found so many resources, just even for kids with limb differences. Um, you know, and then there's resources for kids with Down syndrome. There's resources for autistic kids. You know, there's all these little different niches, I guess you could say. Um, and then there's mm-hmm. just like the wider disability community in general. I've connected with so many people with so many different disabilities and you know, I've learned that we're not alone in this journey. And, you know, things, things might be hard sometimes like this whole preschool issue, but you know, that's when you can band together. And I've talked to other parents and we're going to fight, we're going to fight for, for things to change. But, you know, at the end of the day, Ivy will never be alone. She has an army behind her. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I think, you know, as a parent, that is um, so reassuring to be like listening to disabled people talking about life or issues or, you know, whatever. I think it is really reassuring as a parent to be like, you know, my son's a part of this community. I'm not, but like my son is. And I feel so secure in this idea of like that um, they are speaking out more and like and demanding justice and accessibility and that I don't know. I'm like, I'm freaking proud. Like, yeah, yeah. my son's oh, disabled. Yeah. Like, this is such a cool community for him to be a part of. Yeah. And that's where, you know, that's probably where the biggest journey has been for me because not even like I was intentionally raised this way, but you are just kind of raised to believe that disabilities are sad. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably been the biggest change for me in my viewpoint. It's not sad. Her life is not sad. Mm-hmm. It's different, but different can be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, I love that. So, what are your hopes and dreams for Ivy as she goes along in life um, and undoubtedly comes up against more discrimination? Yeah. Um, what do you hope for her and for other all disabled children? Yeah. I mean, part of this is scary because I, I do know that she will face discrimination. She will face ableism. She will face some challenges in her life. I do know that I don't, you know, I'm not just kind of sweeping that under the rug. I do acknowledge that, but you know, my hopes for Ivy is that she always knows how loved she is that she has a place in this world. She is meant to be here and she deserves it. She deserves to be here. She deserves a place in this world. She deserves love. She deserves a full life. And I have no doubt that she will live a full life, not only because of like her spirit and who she is, but because of the community that we have found. And then 
I would also just hope for Ivy that she knows that she is truly limitless. Mm. I think the only limits she'll ever face are the limits that people try to impose on her. And I say try because they're going to try and they can try all they want, but they can't limit her because only she can limit herself. And I know she's not going to do that. I can already tell by her, her spirit and her independence and her fight, her will, her sass, like (laughs) she's already taking the world by storm and yeah, she's limitless. And I've learned this too, through connecting with other people. I've talked to Jessica Cox. She is in the Guinness book of world records because she is the world's first licensed armless pilot. Wow. That's awesome. Ivy literally to fly an airplane. She will. Mm. Ivy can do anything she wants to. There are no limits. There are no limits for someone who's disabled. There's only the limits that people will try to impose on her. And that's where we'll run into issues like lack of equal access, all that kind of thing. But just listening to you too, like, I am so confident that you're right about that, that she will never limit herself uh, mm-hmm. in part because of the confidence that you are instilling in her. And I think that, you know, she is so equipped, like having these parents that are so confident in her, in her ability to adapt and to have a great life. I think, I don't know, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of the confidence you see in her right now is in part because you don't expect any less from her than you do your other daughter. And I think that goes such a long ways for these kids that we're raising, for them to know that we have all the confidence in the world in them. Yeah. And like, I do love Ivy and I believe in her, but I also have to credit the parents who have counseled me and encouraged me and guided me because I did have parents very early on, Hmm. parents that I met through the warrants of Canada. And they told me straight up, you cannot treat her any different than your other children. And I remember hearing this when I'm holding a two week old Ivy and I'm like, what? Like I would never make Ivy do the dishes. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, because you're holding this precious two week old baby who was born without hands and you don't know any better. And you're like, I I'll, I would never make her do the dishes. Like, how would she do the dishes? Yeah. But now like, I'm like, okay, those parents are right. Like you literally can't treat her any different. Ivy sweeps. Ivy cleans up messes. If she makes a mess, she has to clean it up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So like I did learn, I have had so many amazing people in my life, whether those are disabled adults or parents of kids with similar limb differences to Ivy's just be there for me and encourage me and counsel me so I have learned a lot from other parents but I am trying my best to do my best for Ivy and to be my best for Ivy because she deserves the best mother in the world and so I'm trying my absolute hardest to be that for her because she deserves no less Mm, I love that so much and like what a shift right like I just kind of want to bring it back to the first episode where you were talking about that doctor who was like she'll have no quality of life and then you're like oh my gosh maybe I'm not qualified to be your mom and then to come all the way to this point and she's only two and a half years old like you guys have like you know so much longer in life to continue to evolve and stuff but like what an awesome evolution to have to come to this Mm -hmm. point like she can do anything I think that is so cool. Yeah. It's been a journey. It's been, you know, it's been amazing. It's been incredible. It's been hard to confront those ableist ideas that I previously held. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's uncomfortable for me to realize, hey, I was kind of, for lack of a better word, a shitty person for thinking this. 
-hmm. it is uncomfortable to confront your own biases and, you know, your ableist thoughts, but it's just something that I am now so passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. It is uncomfortable. And I think our kids are better off when we do confront it and adapt and, you know, I'm not pretending to be any kind of expert on this either. Like I, I feel like there's so much more learning to do and so much more listening. Um, but just being aware that it's a thing and be like acknowledging like, yeah, like I have these ableist ideas that are ingrained in me, you know, just growing up in the society and that's not going to serve my child. It's not going to serve my family. And so I choose to listen and learn and change. And, you know, I do it because Ivy deserves no less. Yeah. Yeah. It gets hard because you know that other parents don't necessarily have to have these conversations or put in that time or that work, but I'm happy to do it because, I mean, there's no way to put it other than she deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa, for letting us talk about all this just all of it, the accessibility, the ableism, yeah. our children's worth. It was such yeah. a great conversation. Thank you. I will forever shout Ivy's worth to anyone who will listen. So thank you for letting me do that. Yeah, but. of course. A couple of weeks after we recorded this conversation, Ivy started preschool. She loves it just as much as was anticipated and is thriving. She even started up at a ballet studio who welcomed her with open arms. If you want to see adorable photos of her radiating with joy at these fun new milestones, give her mom Vanessa a follow on Instagram. I'll put a link for that in the show notes as well as a link to my account. After talking to Vanessa, I requested the resources that she looked into to learn about ableism and the history of the disabled community. And so you can find that little list of resources in the show notes if you want to do a little more digging yourself too. Don't miss next week's episode as I chat with a NICU nurse about her inspiration, her best moments, and her hardest moments, as well as a pep talk for all of us. It's a great one. See you then.